Right, let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'll shut up now, go. Hi, and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark, and we are back together this week. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, before Bethan begins this week's case, we would like to give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporters. Thank you so much to Richard Wilson, Jesse Ferguson, Fiona Bush, Sarah Hearn and Helen Sims. Thank you so much, guys. And if you'd like to support the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash seeing red podcast. Don't forget, you can let us know your thoughts on today's episodes on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So this week, I'm going to be sharing with you guys another listener suggestion. And we receive probably two or three suggestions a week now, which is really great, but it does mean we can't cover everything that you mentioned to us. We do, however, have a great list, a long list, and we can now pick and choose from this when we need some inspiration. So thank you. Definitely. And for this week's case, I have done just that. Gary Ritchie requested this case because it's one close to home for him, which actually is often the reason people suggest cases to us. So, on the 7th of June 2018, RSPB warden Victoria Turnbull arrived at the car park of Loch of Kinordi in the Kirmia Nature Reserve, ready for a bird survey. It was before 5am and she and her colleagues had just arrived. They'd just pulled into the car park when they saw a burned-out car ahead, and they were really frustrated, thinking that the site had been used for fly-tipping once again. However, as they got closer, they saw there was a person on the ground next to the car, and that this person was quite clearly very dead. Um, So she then made a 999 call and basically told them about the car, which was, as she described it at the time, very well burned and there wasn't much left. PC Paul Hosking and a colleague were the first officers at the scene and immediately saw the male lying beside the burned out car, badly charred and he had large lacerations on his back and his neck. His lower legs appeared to be missing and the car didn't have registration plates. Emergency protocol procedures were then immediately put in place, including an inner cordon around the car park and an outer cordon and these were manned by the police. Can you imagine just stumbling upon a scene like that? You know, you're talking about his lower legs appeared to be missing. He's badly charred. He's got lacerations. It's bad enough kind of just finding a dead body that's not mutilated. Mm -hmm. But this sounds really, really disturbing. That's going to live with you forever. Yeah, it's horrific. And absolutely scar you, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. So the victim was soon identified as a local man called Stephen Donaldson and the post-mortem examination confirmed that he had died as a result of sharp forced trauma to the neck. Stephen Donaldson was a successful guy who had a career in the oil industry and often worked offshore. He has been described as hard-working, popular amongst a large group of friends and as someone who had a good sense of humour. He had a passion for cars and motorbikes as well as regularly going to the gym and people have said he was a genuine guy who was just never in trouble. His career gave him a disposable income and therefore quite a fun life and his immaculate white BMW was a familiar sight in the local area. He owned two flats in Arbroath and another in Aberdeen which he rented out but when he came home his family life was really important to him and at the time of his death he lived with his mum. He'd only just returned from a two-week stint abroad. God, I mean this guy sounds like some catch really. Yeah. Great career, loads of money, disposable income, great Mm -hmm. car. What a shame that his life came to such a terrible ending. Yeah. And obviously it's always subjective, but I think he's quite fit. You need to put detailed photos on there. Oh, detailed. Detailed photos. 
Newspapers reported on the gruesome discovery of Stephen and his car, with the police appeals saying how their thoughts were with Stephen's family and friends, who were being supported by specialist officers, and that they were carrying out extensive police investigations, reviewing CCTV footage and carrying out house-to-house inquiries. They urged the public to assist them with this investigation, to find out who was responsible for what was described as a brutal and sustained attack. And the incident was a huge shock to the local community of Kirimur and the wider area, but the police wanted to make it clear that this was a rare crime for Angus and that everything was being done to find out who was responsible for the death of Stephen. Investigators enforced a no-fly zone as they sealed off the scene and this restriction order banned all aircraft, including drones, from flying above 3,500 foot in the area. The police continued to piece together Stephen's movements. They knew that he had left Arbroath about 10pm on Wednesday the 6th of June and he had then travelled to the Kirimur area in his distinctive white BMW M1. They urged the public to come forward if they had seen this car or anything else that might be of use to their investigations. And it wasn't long at all before the police were able to make three arrests. Just eight days later, on the 15th of June, a 19-year-old woman and two 23-year-old men were arrested and charged in connection with Stephen's murder. So what chain of events had happened to end with Stephen lying dead near the front of his Pride and Joy car, which was then set on fire in a beautiful nature reserve? Well, I'm sure there'll be no surprises here because this case includes a relationship on the rocks and arguments about money owed. Like Beth and specialities. <laughs> the oldest, oldest motives, aren't they? 27-year-old Stephen was in a relationship with 19-year-old Tamsin Glass at the time of his murder and they had been together for about a year. Tamsin was reportedly set for the West End stage and had a glittering future ahead of her but had gotten herself into debt and the pair had begun a relationship in June 2017 after they met at a motorbike race meet. Tamsin was actively trying to get pregnant with Stephen's child and he had confided in one of his closest pals that he thought Tamsin was expecting. Tamsin told a friend that she believed a baby would bring the couple close together and she also told her boss at the cafe that she was pregnant with Stephen's child but she told that boss that she wasn't going to tell Stephen he was the father and this is weird yeah this is just the beginning of this tumultuous relationship to say the least Tamsin stated that during an argument Stephen slapped her across the face and that he would take steroids, which significantly altered his moods. She said one minute he would be happy, and the next he would be in the worst mood ever. And the last time Tamsin said she'd seen Stephen was in April 2018, before he went to Ireland for a motorbike road race, but that the pair would message on a daily basis. This did seem really strange to me at first, like she hasn't seen him since April, but then I remembered he he works abroad, so they're probably used to being apart quite a lot. So when was this happening? Oh, June. Yeah. Christ, yeah, that is a long time, but I suppose they've only been together for a year, so, Mm. you know, it's kind of a serious relationship, but still in the early stages. Yeah, and I I think because he's worked abroad, maybe she's just used to that, and it's not unusual, but I can't imagine a 19-year-old wanting to, I don't know, it's, as you'll see, Mm. there's a lot to this that you just don't know. So she has been quoted as saying, he wanted to maintain the relationship and I wanted to maintain the relationship. And it is really hard to know for sure what was going on, but there are plenty of messages between the pair that seem to confirm this narrative, at least. Although the issues between them, I really can't confirm either way. We can only go by what Tamsin said. 
A friend of theirs called John Ryan had been speaking to Stephen about the relationship and he knew that Stephen and Tamsin were due to meet up to discuss their future on the Wednesday night, the night before Stephen was found murdered. And John has described it as the intention of seeing if they could make things work or just call it a day. And he said Stephen was planning to meet Tamsin that evening and she was going to bring some money she owed him. He has since said that he got the impression that while Stephen did want his £1,000 back, sorting out their relationship was much more important to him. And Stephen That's all a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. It's like she owes him £1,000, he's her boyfriend, she's in a relationship with him. Why is he wanting that money back? And well, that's weird, that is. he'd given her like three and a half grand. Oh, and then okay. sort of, they'd, from what I can piece together, this £1,000 was then going to be... Money that he, she still technically owed him, but they yeah. were going to put it together to go on a holiday together. So they were going to put it away or something like that. However, if they were going to just call it a day, I guess maybe he wanted his money back anyway. Yeah, that kind of makes sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stephen had told John that the pair weren't getting on. He hadn't seen Tamsin much and she kept on putting off returning the money to him and that she wasn't making much of an effort with him. So when John didn't hear from Stephen the following day and knowing that a body had been found locally, he contacted Tamsin saying he was mega worried and they communicated in a string of messages. In one, Tamsin said, I feel sick, John. I wanted him to come to my house, but my mum and dad didn't know we were speaking again. So I said to him to meet elsewhere. And I never got anything else apart from how he didn't understand how he couldn't come to mine. And one of the reasons that she said she became concerned on the 7th of June was that she hadn't heard from him that morning and she heard the news that a body had been found and said, Stephen Newsom messaged me every morning, never mind a fallout or not fallout, but he didn't message me that morning. And she also told John that she kept, quote, thinking we will wake up and it's all a nightmare and said, I'm devastated and completely heartbroken. I can't stop crying. I'm absolutely heartbroken. Stephen's sister, Ms Robertson, also lived at their parents' house and she lived there with her young children and has said that they were a close family. On the evening before Stephen's body was found next to his burned-out car, he had been playing in the garden with her children and she said he was fine, his usual self, and said, I remember Stephen waving up and that was the last time I saw him. On the afternoon of the 7th of June, a friend of Stephen's came to the family home to say no one had heard from him since the previous day and they were all aware of the news that a body had been found in Angus, so Ms Robertson spoke to the police. And they told her that if she thought he was headed out to meet Tamsin Glass, that she should get in contact with her and get her details. She had met Tamsin at the house a few times that year, so she got in touch with her over Facebook Messenger that afternoon. Tamsin told her that she had arranged to meet her brother, but he didn't turn up. And she also said that they'd arranged to meet somewhere. But when she got there, he didn't show. And because they'd been arguing recently, she assumed he just changed his mind or gone off in a huff. And Tamsin then said to Stephen's sister, don't cry, you need to be strong. And another message said, OK, love you all, please stay strong. That's awful though, isn't it, for the sister? Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, she she's concerned anyway that that body could be that of her brother. And then she's found out that her brother basically has been missing since the night before. So you're going to be pretty much sure now that that's him. Yeah. And um, Ms Robertson actually was the person who ended up going and identifying his body. And as I am sure you'll not be surprised to hear, Tamsin knew full well what had happened to Stephen. Along with two of her friends, Callum Davidson and Stephen Dickey, she has been jailed for her part in Stephen's murder. 
But of course, as with anything like this, they all have their own truths and what they say is the truth. And I really do wonder if we'll ever know for definite what happened that fateful night. I do have my own opinions about what happened and I'll share my thoughts at the end. So to try and give you the picture of this, I'm going to tell you about some witness statements and the evidence from the forensics and then I'll tell you the testimony given by the three that were convicted and see what you think happened and see how you'd piece this together. So what we do know firstly is that a witness placed Tamsin Glass and Callum Davidson together in Tamsin's car at the Angus Children's Play Park where they are alleged to have attacked Stephen. And this is the play park that Tamsin asked Stephen to meet her at. So Tamsin and Callum were there with Stephen Dickey, who was parked alongside their car and he was on his motorbike. And this was just after 10pm on the Wednesday night. It sounds like this is the kind of place where loads of youngsters would meet up in their cars. And this witness had gone to the play park, car park with their friends and recognised Tamsin's distinctive orange car when they pulled in. He said, I knew of her, I wouldn't say I was a friend. And he then said that he saw a woman called Claire Ogston in the back of the car and Callum Davidson in the front. And all the windows were down in Tamsin's car and the people in the car were talking to Stephen Dickey. So he thought it would be polite to put his windows down too and had just a general conversation with him. So they all kind of left at the same time and the witness thought they might have a bit of a race, but then peeled off and drove off. And then when the witness returned later, he saw Tamsin's car again, but this time he thought that there was just one person inside. Um, So then building site night watchman Colin Chalmers got a phone call from Callum Davidson on the night asking for backup. He said there was a suggestion that a boy Donaldson was coming through from Arbroath with a squad threatening someone and that having known Callum and his family for years, he was happy to help him if he was being threatened. He said yes to help him, but he was at work and nothing came of it. Callum didn't show up at his house and he didn't give Callum any weapons. And Mr Chalmers had a missed call at 1.47 the following day from a number he didn't recognise and this was later to be found from a phone associated with Claire Ogston who was Callum's girlfriend. The 18-year-old witness had said that she was in the back of Tamsin's car and an hour or so later Mr Chalmers' phone received a text from this same number which stated he could get Callum on this phone or Stephen and he said he thought it was strange because he'd never had Stephen's number. My assumption here is they mean Stephen Dickey, not Stephen Donaldson. Yeah, definitely. And Callum Davidson also borrowed a baseball bat from his uncle, Michael Davidson. He'd asked him if he could take a baseball bat that was lying at his bedroom door to a meeting with a guy Tamsin owed money to. And then he told him in a a 1am phone call, he's left him for dead. He told police that, so the uncle told police, I remember Callum saying something like, he's left him for dead when I asked him what the crack was. And I could hear they were in Callum's because I could hear the dogs on the laminate floor. Stephen Dickey was there because he was on his mobile phone. And Mr. Davidson also told police that his nephew had said he had punched the guy a couple of times and been scratched on the nose by the boy. But his nephew had told him that none of this had anything to do with the discovery of the body at the beauty spa. Mm. Obviously Bull not. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. Callum continues to be a source of a lot of information here because in a way that kind of reminded me of the Andrew Andrew Scanlon case right at the beginning of the podcast back in season one. It does have echoes of that. Yeah, he just couldn't resist bragging. Do you remember that case? Isn't that... I remember it really well because Adam over at the UK True Crime podcast also covered it very recently mm-hmm. and I listened to that episode and it yeah we recorded it a long time ago so I had forgotten a lot of it but it brought it all back mm. and it was again another 
you know, disturbing case. And we saw a woman in that case who was mm-hmm. almost like ringleader of this abduction and murder. It was horrendous, it was, wasn't it? It was one of the first times we'd we'd seen something as horrible as that. Yeah, it was such a horrible case. I remember it really well because it was a friend of my other half said said that he went to school with Andrew Scanlon and there's just not much out there about him and about the case and it made me really sad. So when I heard that Adam had covered the case as well, I thought, you know what, at least his memory's being like, told yeah. to more people now as well. Yeah. So, yeah, Callum couldn't resist bragging. On the evening that Stephen Donaldson's body was found, he told a man called Jamie Stewart that he'd been involved and Jamie said that Callum had told him a baseball bat had snapped over the person's head with one swing and that he had gone to get rid of weapons at his grandmother's farm. Mr Stewart said he became aware of a body being found at Loch O'Kinordi on June the 7th, and he'd passed the road leading to the nature reserve earlier that day, and he'd seen Tamsin in her car beside a roadblock with her head slumped over the steering wheel. He and his partner were then at a local co-op shop at about 7.30 that night, and that's when they met Stephen Dickey, Callum Davidson and Claire Ogston, And Davidson had said he had been there when some of it had happened. There had been a carry-on up at the park and the baseball bat had snapped over the person's head with one swing and that he had punched him. Do they literally mean that that baseball bat snapped in two? Yep. From the force of hitting him? That is just... That's one of the most brutal things I've I've heard in yeah. probably seventy episodes we've covered, and we th- there are still other brutal things that are maybe even worse than that. But that's bad. That's up there with the worst the force. of them. Yeah, the yeah. force to do that. I mean, the damage that would have done to his skull mm-hmm. and his brain that would have killed him most likely. Just that. Mm-hmm. So Callum also made a joke to a relative that. That boy's car was a fine car to drive on the day that Stephen Donaldson's burnt body was found beside his fire-ravaged BMW. And whilst he insisted it was just a joke, that person said he was actually a bit gobsmacked by the remark and how callous it was. Claire Ogston was at home when Stephen Dickey and Callum Davidson arrived back at Davidson's house at around 1am on the 7th of June and she has described them as worried and jumpy. She said her boyfriend had come into the bedroom saying he needed to tell her something but she shut him down thinking that they had maybe beaten up Stephen Donaldson. She testified that Davidson had woken her saying he wanted to tell her something, saying he needed to speak about something. They'd gone up the hill to meet that boy but she just said, I just didn't want to know. She described her boyfriend as being quite quiet and quite jittery. And Stephen Dickey was having a shower at their house. And when he came out, he was, quote, a very grey colour and sort of quiet. He also tried to tell her about it, but she shut him down too. However, later, Callum left the house again. And when she was alone with Stephen Dickey, he told her that he had hit Stephen Donaldson with a baseball bat. He told her that Stephen Donaldson and Tamsin Glass were having an argument. It got quite heated. And that was when he went over and intervened. And so according to Claire, Stephen Dickey told her that Stephen Donaldson had tried to get away from him and that's when he'd hit him with the bat and she was told it had broken into pieces. And so that's why Callum had gone. He'd left to go and try and recover the bits of the bat. And at that point, Stephen Dickey then pulled out one of her kitchen knives, which was bent from a jacket that was hanging at the door and put it on the counter. Claire also overheard a telephone conversation between Dickie and Davidson where Callum said he couldn't find the broken bits of the bat so he was on his way back to the house. Gary Patterson, who is serving a 30-month sentence, said he met Stephen Dickey while on remand and he told him he was in for murder. He said that Callum had punched the man in a car, he pulled Callum out of the way and then Stephen said he had stabbed him 26 times because of his girlfriend being pregnant or something like that. 
and Mr. Patterson said he felt Dicky was bragging about it, and he told him he was out of order. He said, fair enough, I'm in for a serious assault, but murdering someone is not nice. He also said that Stephen Dickey told him he had offered Callum £10,000 to take the blame. God, yeah, because that's worth mm-hmm. it, isn't it? Exactly. Ten grand that you're going to spend in prison when you banged up for 20 years. Yeah. The difficulty with Gar- Gary Patterson is obviously this is a cell confession. Sometimes people try and come up with stuff to try and get their sentences reduced. And so there's not, it's difficult to know for definite if he's telling the mm. truth or not. So, forensic evidence showed, this is absolutely horrific, so Stephen Donaldson's corpse showed signs of being dragged before being placed next to the car, which was completely destroyed by fire. The blaze was so ferocious that it left nothing of evidential value on the BMW itself, and while Stephen hadn't been set on fire, he was in such close proximity to the blaze that his clothing suffered heat damage. His left foot was trapped under the frame of the vehicle, most likely due to the tyres being burned, and the fire itself was so fierce it could have taken half an hour to an hour to burn itself out, leaving the car completely burned back to the metal, both externally and internally. The forensic witness to the trial also explained, which I thought was interesting, that although the petrol tank would flare when the frames reached it, an explosion would be unlikely because of the nature of the fire. So it kind of explained why the fire, why the car was just burned and hadn't exploded like a movie scene. Because that, that's how I always imagine that happening. If a car mm-hmm. catches fire and it's sort of out of control, that when those flames get to the petrol tank, it literally ignites it in one go. And it's obviously so flammable that it literally just explodes. So yeah. that's quite interesting that that doesn't always happen. No, and it hadn't happened in this case. Sand and gravel marks on Stephen's lower body led forensics experts to conclude that he had been hauled across the length of the car park by two people, one person holding his feet and the other person holding his upper body. His lower back and his bottom had been in contact with the gravel and then like his feet and shoulders lifted off the ground. So the wounds suffered by Stephen were extensive and horrific. He had numerous deep stab wounds to his body and to his legs. He had a broken jaw and a cut across his throat. He had defensive wounds on his hands that went to the bone and stab wounds on his legs, which were consistent with him pulling his legs up towards his torso and kind of curling in a ball in defence. And shockingly, his spinal cord was severed in two places. He had suffered blows to the back of the neck, which cut through the neck bones and severed his spinal cord in two places. And the wounds were so complex and overlapping, it was impossible for the forensic pathologist to confirm just how many there were. She said, whilst giving evidence, the wounds were complex and lie on the same place, so they are overlapping each other. It's possible there were more, but earlier ones had been obliterated by later blows. There were at least six in this location of the body, and she then said that they could have been caused by a sword, a machete, a cleaver, or an axe. That, again, you know, obviously I just sort of said the wounds that it suffered up there with the worst of them that we've covered in 70 episodes but hearing it so graphically like that it's just that is i have no words really mm-hmm. when yeah. people are beaten up or beaten to death it's obviously so much worse than when somebody's shot or stabbed I, this is a brutal attack that's just happened to end in his death mm-hmm. Stephen donaldson's blood was found on a t-shirt belonging to callum davidson 
the handlebars of Callum Davidson's bike and a, a part of a broken baseball bat that was found. And blood was found along the edge of the car park, which was consistent with dripping from someone who was bleeding. A pool of blood and a piece of tissue was found on the road at the entrance to the car park, as well as blood on the grass verge there. And then there was a drag mark of blood from a heavy area of staining at the entrance through the middle of the car park to beside Mr. Donaldson's burned out BMW at the far end. The blood pattern and distribution in the car park suggested that Stephen had been assaulted at the entrance and then dragged up the car park whilst bleeding and placed at the car before the vehicle was set on fire. Stephen's brain had revealed bleeding around it that was consistent with a direct impact of reasonable force, absolutely typical of being struck by an object. And when his brain was inspected, it was found that he hadn't lived much longer after that impact, probably less than an hour. But that's still horrible, isn't it? That he yeah. went on to live for an hour. Potentially um, an hour. In in absolute agony and pain, mm-hmm. knowing that there was nothing he could do, that he was going to die. Yeah. So those are kind of the witnesses and the expert testimony of what happened and the forensics. So here are the stories given by the key people in this case. Stephen Dickey has described Tamsin as his lover and has referenced Stephen Donaldson as Tamsin's ex-boyfriend. Tamsin has denied being in a sexual relationship with both men at the same time. Um, and at some time she denied even being with Stephen Dickey at all. So Stephen Dickey's version of events is as followed. He said that Tamsin and Callum hatched the plan to give Stephen Donaldson a roughing up for hassling his ex-girlfriend over the money that she owed him. He said he had been in a sexual relationship with Tamsin Glass for a few weeks prior to June last year, but it wasn't full on. He said he didn't know of Stephen Donaldson before that night, and he definitely didn't know of him as an ex of Tamsin until he was told of the plans of the other two. Stephen Dickey said he had gone swimming with Tamsin, Callum and Claire, and that a conversation arose where Tamsin said a boy was hassling her for money. She told the group she was going to go meet him on her own. Stephen wasn't really bothered by the meetup, but Tamsin and Callum discussed Callum going up to give him a bit of a roughing up as a warning to back off. And he said Tamsin dropped him and Callum off, and then they walked up to the area of Kiri Hill where they saw Tamsin's car next to Stephen's BMW, and the driver's windows were facing each other. He said that Callum started running towards the BMW and lunged in the driver's window. And so Stephen Dickey froze, watching the scene unfold. Tamsin drove off, sped away, and Callum was in the BMW, which also then began to move. Stephen Dickey has described it as the car went shooting back and the front end spun out. Callum was in the car by this point, and Stephen didn't see who was driving, and the car drove off. So Stephen said he just walked back to Callum's house to wait. He had a tin of tenants and sat on the sofa. He then said that Callum Davidson returned home about an hour to an hour and a half later. He had scrubbed his hands in the kitchen sink, had a cigarette, and then they discussed the roughing up that had taken place before Callum said he was going back to Kinordy Lock. Stephen initially said he wasn't too worried about what had happened and, of course, didn't expect the other Stephen to be dead. Finally, he did admit to not telling the whole truth to police for fear of being a grass, saying he did have some suspicions, but he continued to play this down, and he said that when he went to work the following morning and passed a police roadblock at the end of the B951 leading to the Angus Nature Reserve, he did begin to worry a bit. He said, It did start going through my mind what he's done, and initially I thought maybe a car accident, and then it clicked on that's where Callum had went to look for the bat, and I thought it might be a bit serious. Stephen Dickey denied that he had been involved in the murder and said that he had not had anything to do with telling Callum to go back out and look for the pieces of the baseball bat. And he had a different story to Claire, saying that when Callum had come in, he'd taken off his clothes and gone straight to bed. So that's the first one of them. 
I'm sure you can tell as well by my tone. I just don't like any of them and I don't believe any of these people. And that Tamsin sounds like a fucking slag. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, Mark. Yeah. obviously likes a bit of dicky, doesn't she? <sighs> just a bit. She, I honestly, everybody that you speak to about this case, who knows this case, she is just a horrible person. Yeah, she, she just, sounds um, it, yeah. comes across as just a nasty piece of work. For to be 19 years of age and behaving like that and leading mm-hmm. such a complex life, yeah, that's terrible. So Callum's version of event, events was, of course, very different to Stephen Dickey's. He described Stephen Dickey as half crabbit about his girlfriend Tamsin getting messages from her ex. So I had to ask Bob at Twisted Britain what this meant, because I could have made assumptions, but I needed to be sure. And he explained that crabbit is grumpy. So Because uh, I, I was going to say, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. So he admitted that he did punch Stephen Donaldson, but before it could go much further, Stephen Dickey shoved him aside, roaring with rage. Tamsin sped away and then Stephen leant through the window and started striking Stephen Donaldson. Callum said that when he started shouting for his friend to stop and said, let's get a move on, Stephen Dickey wouldn't stop. And when he did get out of the car, he had a knife in his hand and blood on him. According to Callum, it's something giving somebody a slap, but that was a whole different ballgame. He said that he had a million thoughts rushing through his head. He was angry at Stephen Dickey. He felt really small. He was sad about what had happened. And he said Stephen Dickey looked crazed, looking through him as if he wasn't there. And Stephen Donaldson was slumped in the driver's seat and he thought he might be dead. Stephen Dickey then moved Stephen Donaldson into the back, told Callum to get into the car and told him to drive it to the car park at the lock. During the drive, Donaldson began to move, but Dickey kept shouting that for him that he was, quote, busting his head every time he tried to get in contact with Tamsin. When they got to the car park, Callum said that as he began to make his way to the gate, he heard noises behind him, and he looked back thinking it was Stephen Dickey coming after him next, but it was Donaldson trying to escape. He tried to just keep walking and leave it behind, but he had to turn back and look when he heard a crunch, and that's when he saw Stephen lying outside on the road being hit by a baseball bat by Stephen Dickey. He said, I heard the first hit, it was a dull thud and Stephen was still shouting for me to get back. What got my attention was the different noise the bat made. It's strange to say, but that's what I remember. That's weird. What What do you think he means by the different noise? Just because it is in contact with someone's skull? I think so, yeah. I think it's a noise he'd not heard before, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Callum told his counsel that he walked back along a path from the reserve towards Kiramuir and turned around to see the trees glowing orange and that he felt really freaked out. But Stephen Dickey caught up with him and the pair just had to go back to acting like they were normal. They walked back and then Stephen Dickey ordered him to go back out to the lock to search for the broken baseball bat. He said he found splinters and the handle, which was sticky, but he threw them away, telling Dickey he hadn't been able to find any bits. When he went out on his bike, he made sure to put on a show for any CCTV cameras, riding along at a leisurely pace and not acting suspiciously. There have been some questions around whether or not Callum had an axe or a machete that he had used in the attack, and he denies this. I've been able to, unable to kind of find out any more about this, so it would appear that this weapon's never been found, but the forensics showed that Stephen Donaldson had been attacked by some sort of an, a weapon like that. So now we move on to Tamsin. So Tamsin's story, basically, is she didn't know anything. So she still believed that her and Stephen Donaldson had a future together at the time that he died. She denies two-timing Stephen Donaldson with Stephen Dickey, but she did admit that the relationship had been in trouble. She said that Stephen Donaldson had been offered a job in Qatar and 
so Glass told the trial that actually they discussed going there together. At first, she tried to deny seeing Stephen at all that night, saying he didn't show up to the meeting that they'd arranged at the play park. And she was adamant that she had never been involved in trouble with the police and she'd never have gone through a third party to inflict violence. And then she began to admit things, saying, OK, yeah, Stephen Donaldson had been texting and calling her during the evening of the 6th of June. So she'd told Callum not to let on to Stephen Dickey, who was on the phone. She then admitted that she heard Callum's phone call to Colin Chalmers, where he said Stephen Donaldson was going to be given a hiding. But she just ignored it as big man talk. And she then drove Callum to his uncle's house. But although this is where the baseball bat was picked up, she denied seeing it being brought into her car. She said, if there was anything there, I would have seen it. And I probably would have made a sarcastic comment and asked him why he'd got that. But she, you would have known that all these people, what you're going there for and what they've come out with. It's just lies, Of isn't course, it? yeah. She's just, she's just trying to play the little girl lost mm-hmm. scenario, isn't she? Oh, you know, I don't know anything. Yeah, poor pregnant me. me. I'm only 19, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's, it's a very childish approach to, to this. Mm-hmm. Finally, she began to admit. So she admitted to asking Stephen Dickey for help. She said she wanted to know if he'd be able to speak to Mr. Donaldson. And she said he was only going to speak to Stephen if I asked him to, if I needed him to. I believe we'd probably get back together, but I just didn't want to argue. Finally, she then admitted to driving to the park, but she still stuck to this story that she would never have allowed Stephen Donaldson to travel there if she believed he was going to come to any harm. So we have Tamsin, who by the end admitted to asking Stephen Dickey to speak to Stephen Donaldson and finally admitted she'd driven to the meeting, but said she didn't think anything that bad would happen. Callum, who says he was involved at the beginning, but then he walked away and Stephen Dickey was the main attacker and he'd attacked and killed Donaldson and set the car on fire. And then we also have Stephen Dickey, who says it was Callum who did everything and he was just sat on the sofa with a tin of tenants. So, Mark, what do you think happened that night? What are your thoughts? Well, I think Tamsin, um, the girlfriend, obviously, of Stephen Donaldson, I don't know why, but she obviously didn't want to pay that money back that she owed Stephen. I would say their relationship was over, and he'd probably told her that, and he was saying, I want the money back that we'd kind of set aside or, I don't know, whatever it was supposed to be for. Mm. And then she must have known these kind of ruffian types, and she's sort of said, look, you know, I owe this guy money. Um, he means nothing to me. I need your help. Mm-hmm. She was probably in a sexual relationship with Dickie. Um, she liked a bit of Dickie, <laughs> and I reckon she used that to her advantage. And and him probably trying to impress her, um, thought I can, uh, you know, go out of my way here to get this situation sorted out for, her and she'll be forever grateful. So it probably went a little bit further than she anticipated it would. Um, but I think, uh, I think she knew what she was doing. She mm-hmm. knew he was going to at least get beaten up. Yeah. And I think they've just got carried away and gone too far with it. And I think um, that Stephen Dickey and Callum are both absolutely responsible. Mm-hmm. And so is she, obviously. Tamsin. Yeah. I. Th- this is the thing, like, you've just heard the facts from what I've relayed to you and you've come to the, the same conclusions as me and the same conclusions, actually, as a lot of people. The prosecution said at the trial that all three played their part in the events of the night of the 6th of June and in a two-hour closing speech on the 19th day of the trial Crown Prosecutor Ashley Edwards QC said the following all three had played their part with wicked disregard for the consequences Davidson was not the simple country lad that he wanted the jury to believe and Glass had facilitated Mr Donaldson's arrival at the Peter Pan play park on Kiry Hill 
after she used her two co-accused to stop her web of lies unravelling around the state of her life at the time. So the Crown Prosecutor urged the jury to reject any submission which may come forward that a charge of culpable homicide should be considered for Glass and said all three were responsible for the death of Stephen Donaldson in the full knowledge that weapons were taken to a meeting with him. What followed was a brutal and sustained attack by the first and second accused and she also added that Glass knew of the reputation of Dickie and Davidson. And the defence for all of them was just pointing the finger at each other. That's all the defence was. And you know it's a weak defence when mm-hmm. when we see that. And I suppose with the three of them, it's almost, they yeah, they can almost completely exonerate themselves of any blame, just kind of blaming different people in that triangle of lies. Exactly. Oh, yeah, well, I only punched him, but he was the one who did this. But I didn't do mm. anything. I just went and sat on his sofa. Ridiculous. And I'm not surprised the trial obviously was quite long because um, quite often they can be over in a week or two and mm-hmm. mind you it is a murder trial so obviously it is worse but it probably was quite complicated to really mm-hmm. try and break down their testimony and, and get an understanding of what is plausible exactly. um, for the sequence of events on that night mm-hmm. and whilst we'll never know for sure this is kind of my opinion so Tamsin wanted Stephen out of the way like you said as well whether she wanted him to be killed or just beaten up I can't say that for definite but it would appear with many, with her many issues that he was just in the way. She was pregnant and according to the trial and the press, her life was spiralling out of her control. So perhaps she felt getting rid of him was her only answer. Maybe she just got swept up in the excitement of the danger. She seems to have known that her new boyfriend, or perhaps he's not her boyfriend, whatever, but I think he was. She seems to have known that he was a rough guy and she must have known she was delivering her ex to at least a lot of pain and injury, if not death. And the fact that she went to work the next day as if nothing had happened, she acted fine with her family, plus the messages that she'd sent to Stephen's sister and also their friend John. They just proved to me that she was a cold, cold bitch, whether she wanted him dead or just hurt. Oh, I love it, Bethan. Mm-hmm. You're getting brutal there. I'm so passionate about how much I hate her. Yeah, she is an absolute bitch. I think yeah. you're right. Um, it's cold as well it's so cold the way that she knew she had delivered him to something she then hears that there's someone's a body's been found just goes to work in the cafe acting as if nothing she's psychotic isn't she so the fact that two people dragged Stephen's body back to his car and the way that the two men changed their stories quite a lot makes me think that they were both equally a part of the planning and for want of a better word the execution I didn't know how else to say that but it was no, an execution I think you're right. of Stephen and anyway as well. I think it was. It was an execution Horrific. of him. They attacked this defenceless man. They kidnapped him in his own car. They drove him to the beauty spot where they attacked him. And he attempted to flee. He tried to defend himself, but he was just no match for the pair. Not only did they get rid of the broken bits of the bat, they also got rid of whatever bladed weapon it was that they'd used. And my assumption is that they're at the bottom of the lock, to be honest. You're not going to be able to drain that. Probably. It's huge. That makes sense. Yeah. I know there was talk of one of them going to his nan's house or something but i feel like the police would probably have searched the farmyard or the farmland but even Mm. then how big is this farm Um, and there were loads of other charges brought against the men for threatening behaviors and i could have added a whole half an hour extra on about this it's ridiculous the other things that they were charged with doing so what i will do is i'll do a social media post with some links to the other things that they've done not this case um so i really do think that they were as bad as each other if one of them had been a good boy up until this point maybe I'd have believed it, but no. I really think that both of them were a key part in this murder. 
and they both sound quite strong characters. So sometimes, and we've had it before, definitely where there might be two people that go out and commit murder, but one of them is weaker in character and is、mm. therefore manipulated to a certain extent by the stronger force.、Mm-hmm. But it doesn't even sound like that's the case here. It sounds like they both knew exactly what they were doing and were both totally in control of their actions. Yeah, they weren't being manipulated by the other. No, I think so. And Callum Davidson had a slightly worse、um, track. Record with the police and with convictions, but they were both naughty boys, as I used to say back at the beginning. So they、I、did、yeah. long time no here. I know. Trying to put a bit of humour into this, just because it's just such a horrific case. But yeah, it's hard, isn't it?、Mm-hmm. You know, we always try and tell the story with the a human element, but yeah, it's really tough. In, yeah, in sometimes you、like、can't、this. help but just go, "What a slag." Well, yeah.、Mm. So the the trial was horrendous for all who had to take part in it. The images of Stephen Donaldson's body were so distressing that、oh, they led members、God. of the victim's family to leave the courtroom, and they caused the collapse of one jury member. Unsurprising, really.、That's- That is just that just says it all, doesn't it? That's、mm-hmm. how bad it was.、Yeah. Someone's literally fainted at the sight of it. At the end of the twenty-two day trial, the jury and the sentencing judge appear to have had the same thoughts as me and yourself. Following almost ten hours of deliberation by the jury of eight women and seven men, the two men were found guilty of murder. Tamsin was found guilty of culpable homicide. Stephen Dickey was sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum of twenty-three years, and Callum Davidson, who, like I said, was a bit naughtier, he had a slightly worse criminal past. He was sentenced to life with a minimum of twenty-four years. So there really wasn't much of a difference between them,、um, and this would be twenty-three and twenty-four years before they'd be eligible for parole. Tamsin was sentenced to ten years in prison, and the judge was certain that she had purposefully led her ex to his death and was well aware of what happened. But、so, what do you think about that? Frustratingly, I think that I agree with the jury because she didn't swing the bat. She didn't swing a machete or a knife or an axe. She led him、mm. there. However, we cannot prove for certain that she knew he would die. So, unfortunately, whilst I don't like her and I would have liked her to be done for murder, culpable homicide sounds fair. I think, yeah, that you put a good argument. Forward there, I、mm. think initially I was like, no, she's as guilty as them. But I think, yeah, how could you prove that she was committing him to death,、yeah. even if it wasn't at her hand?、Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe that is the the fairest option. Yeah, and to be honest, you know, if she paid for it or something like that, if she paid these men to do it, but.、Mm. So they had to endure a twenty-two day trial, deliberate for ten hours, and they came to the same decision as us. So.、Yeah. That means we're pretty good at、mm-hmm. this, doesn't it? There is also a little bit extra to this story. So after the sentencing on the thirtieth of May two thousand and nineteen, the group were granted appeals, but on the fifteenth of November, Callum and Tamsin's appeals were rejected, and the news of this broke hours after Stephen Dickey was found dead in his cell. Reportedly,、wow. he committed suicide. God. So at least they didn't get their appeals; they were rejected. So I just couldn't end the episode talking about these people any longer. They're just horrible, awful creatures. So instead, I wanted to share with you two facts: the fact that Stephen Donaldson's funeral was held in July 2018, with hundreds of mourners gathering on what would have been his 28th birthday to celebrate his life, and then the following year, in July 2019, more than a thousand bikers turned out for a memorial motorbike run from Arbroath to Kirrmuir, and they finished their ride out with a commemorative event. At the nature reserve, 
and there are still mementos to his memory left as he was just so well loved. That that's really good to hear, isn't mm. it? That, yeah, he's you know, his memory lives on through those people, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So there you go, guys. That's the story of Stephen Donaldson. I think you'll all need to sit down with a cup of tea or a gin and tonic now. Yeah, that, something stronger. That was fucking brutal, Bethan, mm. you bitch. Sorry. Well, blame Gary. I'm fuck sorry. off, Gary. There we go. You'll yeah, love fuck that. fuck you, Gary. <laughs> fuck off, Gary. But in all seriousness, thank you very much, everybody, for listening and for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. You can also support the show at patreon.com slash seeingredpodcast. So until next week, bye. See you then, bye.